Okay, let's start with a quick word of prayer. Lord, most holy Father, please get, again come be with us. Um, just give us uh, an insight into your world of, of nature and creation and how we can best serve you, how we can uh, utilize the, the world of nature to, to better our, our country living and also to be a benefit to others in what we can provide for them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So our part number three, I want to go into the fall part of the year. But before I do that, there's just a couple of really particular little things I wanted to go back over and just cover as I was looking through my notes. I just, I don't want to miss things. And that is, the, the first thing is, you got to really understand your purpose in why you're checking the bees. So when you go out there to check them, doom, doom, and you got your smoker and your whatever and your tool, why are you doing that? When you're a new beekeeper, sure. um, you're checking them and you're checking them fairly regularly because you're learning to see what they look like. You're, you're gauging, you're seeing how they're coming and going, and then you're going to get into the hive and you're going to see how big the hive is, and you're going to watch the the correlation between how many are coming and going and how big the hive is. And you're also getting in there and you're going through every frame because you're starting to get this kind of mental imagery and picture as to how everything is laid out. You're getting good at spotting eggs. You're getting good at spotting the queen. That can be really hard sometimes. Spawning one bee in 25,000 other bees. Uh, you don't have to see her, um, but it is nice to be able to pick her out of the crowd. So it's kind of a where's Waldo thing. So learning how to find the queen, watching the behavior. Um, when I was talking about behavior, was, was, that, dur was that the last class? Okay, watch their wings. Watch them looking at you. Um, when you're going through the hive and there's too many just sitting there looking at you, that's time to give them a little puff of smoke, poof. And then they'll turn and, and kind of run down and uh, leave you alone for a while. You really don't need much smoke. Um, I see some videos on YouTube where people are, are like creating, a, you know, just a cloud of, of smoke. And you just don't need to do that. It's just a couple of puffs across the top and you'll see them scurry back down into the hive. And then just you can go through your thing eventually they'll start coming back up. And as long as they're not showing those real signs of aggression, um, they're okay, but just kind of keep the smoker handy. A couple little puffs, just don't overdo it. If, if you do intentionally just overdo it, just to watch and see what happens, they, they start uh, getting like panicky and then they, they all start running everywhere. And they're just, Every frame, they're all just running, 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 running. It's hard to see the queen because she's running. What's, <laughs> what's nice is, is just a little puff and go through things. And it's, what's really nice is when you can relax and be going through it slowly and methodically and actually find the queen still laying eggs. <clears throat> That's neat to actually watch her lay an egg. Um, and... Okay, so, so your purpose in checking is first is familiarizing yourself with what things look like in there and looking at the behavior. What is the behavior that they're, uh, that they're doing? What's that look like? And you're going to gain an education while you do that. After a few years and your, high, your colonies have, have built up, for, for me, I know what's in the hive. I know what it looks like. I know what the stages are. So when I go to check my hives, I'm looking, first of all, I'm just standing back and looking at all the entrances. And I can gauge by the time of year and the coming and going, whether that hive, I don't even need to get into that hive because I know they're good, they're fine. The only thing I'm really gonna get in there and maybe check is, um, I like what I see there, they're coming and going, things are fine. Little puff of smoke on the entrance. I'll pull the lid up. I'm looking at how many bees I see there at my stage of the game. Um, 
lot of bees there. That's a good sign. I'll pop this up, puff a little bit of smoke under there, pick that up. Um, plenty of bees there. That's a good sign. The one thing I'm looking for on, on my level of things with the amount of hives that I have, what I'm going to do is I'm going to crack these two boxes so that they're, they're not stuck to each other. And then I'm going to bring this top box forward just a little bit and tip it back. And I'm going to look for queen cells. That frame has fallen apart. Um, if I don't see any queen, or uh, not queen cells, but swarm cells, if I see even one swarm cell down here, that means, okay, they're thinking about swarming. Now I'm going to carefully go through the whole thing, and I'm going to make a decision. Do I want them to do that? Because if they swarm, I can beat them to the punch and do what's called a, a shake swarm. So if there's swarm cells in there and they're not capped, so they're just, they're open on the bottom, they're still feeding that larvae, you can avert that swarm by killing every single solitary one of those queen cells. Before you do that, you make sure you spot the queen. If she were to have swarmed with a small bunch of bees, it's not going to look like they've swarmed. And if they all go away and you kill every queen cell, what did you just do? You just wiped out the hive and you're going to have to go get a queen from somewhere else. So if, you've find, if you found your queen in there and the queen cells, none of them are capped, you still have some time. You could kill all of those uh, queen cells. Just take your tool and just poke them, dig them out. And just keep watching the hive because they're going to build them back. But over uh, a few weeks have just taken them out every week. Uh, they will get over that urge to swarm. Give them a lot of more room to expand up into. But let's say, okay, I'm going to let them swarm. And let's say I've got swarm cells on this frame, this frame, and maybe this frame. What I can do is... Um, I can do what's called a shake swarm. And what that is, is I can get out of my uh, storage shed in an empty box, just like this. I can take a couple of frames of honey and maybe a frame of pollen and put it in that, that empty box, let's say over here. Um, so I've got three empty frames and a couple of frames of honey and pollen in there. No brood, no nothing. Maybe some drawn comb even. doesn't have to be. But then I'm going to go through and I'm going to find the queen. The frame that she's on, I'm going to be real careful with. And I'm going to set that frame by itself because I don't want to lose that queen. And then I'm going to take about half of these frames. And I'm going to shake off the bees about half the bees in that colony into this box. And I'm going to take, and I'm going to find that queen. I'm going to put her in there and put the lid on. They've got food and no brood. They will have thought they swarmed. Because here we are, unfurnished apartment. Oh, there's food in the refrigerator. Let's stay. And, uh, and that's how you do a shake swarm. Meanwhile, the, the original colony has a few queen cells in it, right? Just go ahead and let those queen cells sort things out and get going on their own. That's how you do a shake swarm. Now, if you really want to do things fun, every frame that has a queen cell on it can go. So you take, you take each one of those, uh, those frames with a swarm cell, put one of them in each one of these nuke boxes, add some bees, add some, make sure there's honey, make sure there's, uh, if you're taking the, the queen cell, you don't have to make sure there's no brood. So you can, you can just like take that hive apart, and I've done this many a times, a double deep uh, queen that wants to swarm, she will get shook into an empty box with some honey, the rest of the hive will get split four ways. If I can get four frames that each have at least one queen cell. See what I'm doing? So now, 
So now what I have is five hives. Right? And just be nice, take care of them, feed them if they need a little bit more feed. And, uh, and hopefully it's early in the year. There's a saying, hold on. There's a saying in beekeeping, a swarm in May is worth a load of hay. A swarm in June is worth a silver spoon and a swarm in July isn't worth a fly. Now, what do we mean by that? <laughs> the earlier the bees swarm, the more of the season they have to recover and develop and gather enough nectar for the winter. Because you want, you want to try to at least get them into one or as a swarm, either into one or two deeps and full of honey by, by fall and winter. Um, there's, there's a lot of times I will overwinter in just one deep. And as long as that's solid and that weighs like about 90 pounds, they're, they're plenty good to go. For the rest of the winter? For the rest of the winter, yeah. Okay, so one other thing I wanted to uh, check and that is yeah, that's what I was wanting to check. Okay, so yes. Just a question: when, when you start the new hive, if the bee comes out of there and mm-hmm. goes back, aren't they going to think that's their home? So, so the the yeah, it, it, if you do a shake swarm with the queen, you can do it in the same yard. Let's say that's my hive that wants to swarm. I can set this over here. But I'm going to make sure and I'm going to shake an extra lot of bees. I'm going to shake like three quarters of the bees from this over here because there's a bunch of those bees that are field bees that are going to fly back to that location. And I want to kind of compensate for that redistribution by getting more of the young bees. At this point, I need to explain something. When a bee hatches... Out of, its, out of its little cocoon, the very first thing it does is look for some food. And it feeds, and then it cleans the, the cell out that it hatched from. The, the first job a bee is programmed to do for like the first day or two is cleaning. So they become janitors. And they will just mosey about the hive and clean. They're just cleaning things. After, after a couple of days, they, they r- switch and they start being nurse bees. And they'll start taking care of the larvae brood. Some of them will switch and become, well, okay, some of them will switch and become uh, uh, wax producers. So they'll, they'll start producing wax. And the wax exudes out between their segments in their abdomen, like little platelets. Um, another job that they can do is become receiver bees. Uh, so. The, the, the bees that go out and gather the nectar and the pollen, they come to the hive and they don't put it away. They merely hand it off to a house bee that's going to go put that stuff away. So it's like me coming home with groceries. I just bring it in, set it on the table, and I take off again and let my wife put it all away. <laughs> because that's their job is go out and get as much as I can, as many trips in a day as we possibly can, and it would just use up all their time to go hunt around looking for places to put all that pollen and nectar. So they bring it home and give it to the home bees and the home bees uh, put it away. So we've got janitor, we've got nurse bees, we've got um, the, uh, the, the housekeeper bees that put stuff away. And then we've got bees that after a, a few more days, they will become part of the queen's retinue. That, they just follow her around and take care of her. And, and one of the last jobs that they do is they will go to guarding the hive. So they will spend most of their day or two or three or whatever that they're in that kind of uh, uh, developmental stage is they will hang around the entrance. And you watch. You'll start being able to spot the guard bees because they're the ones... They're, they're trying to check everybody that's coming in. And it's like, you smell okay, in. You smell, you, no, you're, uh, and, uh, and they do this. Other bees will, other bees will just kind of wander around. And it's like, if they see an open door and it smells good in there, they will try to get in there. Oftentimes, this is a problem in the fall when nothing is blooming. 
and, and it's just like this tension in the air because the bees, they start lurking around the kitchen window because they smell Jeannie's cooking something that smells sweet. And they just become like hungry wolves. And what they'll do is they will just start flying around and they'll find a weak hive. And they'll get into a weak hive and they'll steal some honey and they'll go back and do the dance and tell everybody back home, hey, over there. And then you'll get a lot of bees just going and they will, in just in a few hours, they will steal all the honey out of that weak hive and take it back. And if you don't catch it, that hive's gonna like starve to death in just a couple of days. So, so they do this, they steal from each other. So there, oh, and we'll talk about ways to mitigate that. But um, does it happen much? In the fall, you really got to watch it. <clears throat> so, so yeah, they do that kind of thing. You were going to talk about the field bees that go out. And okay, so yeah, so so the last job they do is field bees. They spend the le- the rest of their life just wearing their wings off, coming and going until they just they don't come back because they've worn their wings off. Uh, Six to eight weeks for, for an average worker bee. So six to eight weeks is about as long as they live. The queen can live four or five years. Um, but an average worker bee, yeah, just a couple of months. And uh, if I were to go back to the picture of the, the different colored bees in the one hive, if you notice real carefully, a lot of them have really ragged wings because they're field bees. Well, the field bees will always come back to that location. So I'm going to... When I'm doing that shake swarm, I'm going to have, get an extra amount of bees and shake them off because a bunch of them are going to go back home. Mm-hmm. So, so, so the young bees that really haven't been outside much, they're going to stay here because when they do start wandering out, this is where they're going to orient to. That's home for them because they're young and they haven't really been out of the hive much. Mm-hmm. And worker bees, what's the difference? Um, so, drone bees are male bees. Their purpose in life is to eat and to mate once, and then they die. Oh my. You're telling me. <laughs> um, so, that's, that's their job. That's all they do. Um, and then in the fall, they get kicked out of the hive and they die anyway. Because they're expendable. The, hive can, the, the queen can make more drones later, the next spring. So they do not take drones through the winter. They kick them out of the hive and just let them die. The, the worker bees, like I said earlier, are females, genetically. They're females. But they're in the presence of the queen's pheromone, their reproductive organs do not develop. Um, now, if we had like three days of class, I could go into it a whole bunch more biology and uh, kind of blow your mind on this because it's really fascinating how it all works. Um, That actually a drone has no father. Drone is, is, is only got one set of chromosomes. A worker bee is a fertilized egg and it turns into a female. But anyway, I can't tell you about that. That's secret. You'll have to come back and learn some other time. Um, so what I want to talk about uh, this, uh, this class period, and we get out at, what, 10 tail? Is, yeah, I've got two sessions, but I, I, I get a little bit of break. So, uh, so Paul, I want to talk a little bit about harvest and extraction. There's several ways to harvest your honey. Um, and if you grab one of the catalogs and just kind of go through it, there's a little section in there uh, about... Um, getting the bees out of your out of your your honey super there's a uh, a board that looks somewhat like a an outer cover and it's got a felt pad on it and there's a uh, a liquid that you can dribble all over that the bees absolutely hate that smell and then put it on there it's called a fume board and it just drives the bees down they just scream and run down and give it a, you know, a little bit. The box is totally empty of bees, and you can tip, pick it up, take it in. The other way you can do it is uh, they make excluders 
that looks somewhat like this, but they've got a, a little plate over that, and it's like a little one-way gate. So you can pick this up, put it underneath there, and give it a few days, and the bees will eventually go the one way. You know, like the little counter things in the grocery store? You can only go that way and not that way. Grocery stores, um, airports. You can use an excluder. Or what I do, um, because when I want to go out and harvest, I want to just like go out and do it now. Uh, I'll get an empty box, so an empty medium. <coughs> I'll set it up right here. And then I'll just go through every frame and just shake the bees off in front of the hive. Just shake them off. And that's where this brush comes in. Sometimes there's always a few bees that you just can't shake off. And so those off, put the, the bee-less frame in this hive over here. And then just go through, shake them off, put it over here, shake it off, put it over here. And whoa, that's kind of what we've done here. I've, I've shaken all the bees off of the, the, the frames in this box here. And my wife is just transferring the, uh, the frames back into. This is actually a, a honeycomb box. All my honeycomb boxes, the shallow ones, are painted red. So I've, sh I've shook the bees off <coughs> and put them in this extra one. Then she puts it back into the original box just because it's shallow and it, it fits in its own box really nicely. So that's kind of how I do things. It's easy to do. And like I said, I've got nice bees, so I can do that, dressed like this. Yeah, um, sure. They, they, some of the, the first shake, you'll get a lot of them come up, and they just like fly like this. And it's like, they're, I know they're speaking to me, saying, what, what are you doing that for? <laughs> you can just kind of see it in there, you know. I'm imagining things, but it's <laughs> fun to imagine. They just kind of fly, and then they go back. You know, it's like they're t telling me off or something. But uh, I've never really been stung doing that. Just shake them off, and eventually you get this huge pile of bees out in front of the hive, and it'll look like wildebeest on the African, you know, the plains, because <laughs> they will all be, like, all going one way, flowing into the hive. And it's kind of cool to watch them, just this mass migration into the hive and, and that's how I do things. And then if it's late in the fall, I've, I'm, got, I'm taking these boxes and I'm keeping them on an upside down lid and I'm putting a lid right back on it because usually late August, if it's a hot day and there's nothing in bloom, the, the, the patrolling bees are going to find that and then they're going to start wanting to rob. And then the whole yard goes crazy when the whole thing erupts into kind of this frenzy, free food, three doors down, and, and they will just, and then they're everywhere. And then they're trying to get into every hive. And then you see fighting going along. Oh, it's just a mess. So keep that covered. As soon as it's empty, it goes over, gets covered, so there's like no free food sitting out on the, on the counter. Quick. Do you yeah. only harvest in the fall? Usually I only harvest in the fall. There is, there's one time that sometimes I harvest in the early spring, where I live in the Pacific Northwest, the bees produce a really to die for crop of honey in April. And the only way I can get it is, number one, I've got to have a real strong hive. I've got to have a break in the weather because April is rainy up in Washington State all the time. Um, but if we get a good spring and some good clear days on a strong hive, I can collect, and usually this is how it works. I will put this on, and it'll take him about a week to fill this thing up about three-quarters full. And I'll think, wow, this is going to be a great year, and I'll put another box on. The problem is it's going to take him like a month to do the last quarter of this thing because that first flow has died off. And I think it's the big leaf maples. I think that's what it is. Um, so what I've done is I've made some two by six blocks that I can take this, these frames out and I can put two two by six blocks there and here. So rather than having them try to fill 10 frames three quarters full, I'll take out four frames and get them to fill six frames 100% full. 
and then I'll pull that off as an early season, really, really nice honey. It's very, very floral and very, very aromatic. It just smells like a flower bouquet, but just tastes like fruit punch. It's really nice honey. So sometimes it's like, okay, I, wanted, I want a little bit of that because I kind of hoard that. Like I said, when you start keeping bees, you can be a, a connoisseur of fine honey. And so you've got your own private reserve that you don't give to anybody. <laughs> How many times a year do you harvest? Harve- you, but usually I just harvest in the fall. Just once? Um, just once. Then the, the, all, the, all the medium supers come off. So what I'm doing is I'm leaving, I'm putting my supers on, my, my medium supers on from the spring, and they'll just start filling it, and I'll just leave it on. When that one's almost full, another one, and another one. And I'll just keep putting them on, and usually for us, about mid-July, everything dies off, and then it's a dearth from there on into the fall. Other parts of the country, the south and the east, you get a, a fall flow in the goldenrod. So if you live in an area where there's lots of yellow goldenrod, th- that blooms later in the fall, and you can get a fall flow of goldenrod honey. Um, we don't get that, so, you know, too bad for us. You don't have issues so, with bears? When you so there are... You're getting ahead of me here. Um, uh, so as far as harvesting goes... That's how I do things. I just shake the bees off and then take, uh, take the honey from there. When it comes to extracting, the, uh, an extractor is one of the most expensive parts of this whole thing. So what I would do is not get one to start off with. Become part of your local honeybee club. They usually have one in common that they will be able to share and you know everybody takes turns extracting a little bit of honey. Or if you get to know somebody in your area, that's has an extractor, you know, trade it out for, for the extraction, you know, let them have whatever, you know, they want to pour proportion out. Or they might just say, yeah, I'll extract your honey for you. Come on over and we'll make, you know, some fun out of it. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily buy an extractor to begin with. The, the, small, the small extractors, even the smallest ones are like 300 bucks. And they will take like two frames at a time. And they're spinning those frames. Okay, math class here. How many of you know what the word tangent mean? Yeah. <laughs> I will get you with math yet. Um, so in a circle, tangent to a circle is a flat surface that is flat to, the, to that circle, right? That's a line tangent to the circle. Well, that's how they're spinning the frames is the frames are spinning around like this. And so the honey is only being pulled out of that frame on one side at a time, the outside. See what I'm saying? So you have to spin it, and usually they're hand crank. Spin it, spin it, spin it. Get all the honey off this side and then turn those around and spin the other side out. And that's okay if you've got like half a dozen of those boxes. It becomes fun. But when you've got 25 of these, and each frame has to you know, go front ways and then back ways, then it becomes ridiculous, and it's not fun anymore, even if you've got 12 kids. Um, <laughs> it's just not fun because it's just too much work. So if you're just going to stay with like less than 10 hives or half a dozen hives, yeah, eventually you buy a small extractor. If, you're, if you have, like, in the back of your mind, the potential that you're going for maybe a couple dozen, and hives are one of these things like, where does it stop? <laughs> um, um, the neighbor calls, I'm really not going to say no to a swarm across the road, am I? Um, so they, it does. It's an addictive thing, so it just keeps growing. But if you, if you think that, you know, maybe I'll have a couple dozen hives, Save your money up and get a radial extractor. The frames in a radial extractor sit this way and it extracts both sides off at the same time. I've got two 12-frame radial extractors. 
So, you know, I have the potential of extracting 24 frames or two and a half of these boxes at once. And it, it, if, the, if the bee shed is about 80 degrees, um, it will spin out in about 10, 15 minutes. Um, so that's a lot nicer than, and it's, and it's motor. You just like, and then walk away and go do something else. Way nicer. So, but these are, these are about, I don't know, look in the catalog. They're, uh, they're about $1,500, $1,600 now. Uh, the spinner that I just bought on, well, never mind. Um, audio versus listening. What? I have about 45 or 50. So, um, so yeah. So that's harvest and extracting. And uh, let's talk a little bit about mite management. Since the, the introduction of the Varroa mite, uh, we have had nothing but problems in the last 40 years. Um, the Varroa mite is what brings most of the other diseases with them. It, you know, like I said, it's a, it's a tick. If it was on you, it would be about this big around and like, like a pancake, like the pancakes we had for breakfast, about that stuck on the side of you. Okay, it's not only taking your blood, but it's also like mosquitoes, it is capable of being a vector and injecting viruses into you. So it brings a whole host of other problems. <clears throat> and this is kind of difficult to see, but um, every bee that I have the yellow circle on, there's a varroa mite. Um, this bee, there's actually two of them. Um, this colony, I helped somebody extract out of a rock wall on a house. It was a good colony to start with, but they took it home and it just completely collapsed. <clears throat> I mean, it might have even swarmed away trying to get rid of the, the mites. But all that was left was just a handful of bees. And that handful of bees, pretty much most of them looked like that, just covered in mites. If you're going through your hive and you actually see a bee with a mite on it, you've already got a bad problem. Um, if they get to the point where you start even seeing one, um, there, there's... A problem and you need to deal with it. So one of the ways to deal with that is using a shaker. There's a couple of ways of uh, checking for mites. One of them, one of the ways is taking, simply taking a quart jar. I know given this crowd, you're all going to go for this one. A quart jar and you're going to, what you're going to do is you're going to shake off from one of these deep boxes near the center because you want to get the young bees Shake them into a cardboard box, quite a few of them. Immediately, the field bees are just going to fly out of the box, and the young bees are just going to crawl. So you shake the box down into a, shake them down into the corner and take a half cup measure and scoop up a half cup of bees and put them in that quart jar and then put like a half cup of uh, powdered sugar in there. Put the lid on and then just shake the daylights out of them. <laughs> for about a minute. And what's going to happen is all that powdered sugar is going to be like ball bearings on the roller skating rink and all the, the mites are going to fall off the bees and just get, you know, in that powdered sugar. And then open it up and let <laughs> the bees stagger out of there and let the bees go. Um, hey, it's for science. It's okay. Um <laughs> Let the bees go, and then add like, you know, a cup or two of water to this. Swirl it around. The sugar's going to dissolve, and then you're going to be able to see the mites that are left. The other way of doing this, it's a little more efficient, is with a, a mite checker like this. You, you open this up, and you fill it to about there with rubbing alcohol. So about halfway up with rubbing alcohol, keep the lid on, scoop up your half cup of bees, drop them in there, put the lid on, and it's going to kill them instantly. So, and then just shake them for about a good solid minute. Shake, 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 shake. 
the, the mites are going to fall through this cage, and you're going to be able to see them down here in the alcohol. So this is what you're doing. A half cup of bees is approximately 300 bees. In the springtime, you want to do this check. In the springtime, you want no more than 3% mite infestation. So 3% would be how many mites floating around here if I've used a half cup of bees? Nine. Nine. Half cup of bees is roughly 300 bees. And at 3%, each hundred is going to have three mites, roughly, right? So at 3%, if I've got less than nine mites, I'm okay in the spring. Now, I am going to keep an eye on it if I've got nine mites there. In the fall, it's 2%. If you go into the winter with 1%, even 1% level of mites, one bee in every 100 has a mite, that colony, 99% of the time, is going to die before spring. So the mites are a bad deal. You really want to aggressively deal with this. So, you know, two, at 2%, what am I looking for in my... In my half cup of bees, six. If there's six or less, I'm right on the line, you know, and I should probably do something with that. If there's just like one mite, it's probably going to be fine. It'll be okay. So, yeah, that one doesn't mean you got the one last mite in the hive. No, there are mites in there, but it hasn't reached the threshold that it's going to tip the balance of, of life and death in that hive. But keep that idea. We're going to come back to that. So uh, I want to look at this. So there's a lot of options out there. You know what? And, and I hate to tell this part of the story, but when I first kept bees, I didn't check for mites. I kind of had this attitude of survival of the fittest. I want to keep good bees, and I want good genetics to survive and so I just didn't deal with it. And what makes me feel bad is, over the years, I've killed a lot of bees. And that kind of bugs me now. Because would it be... Se- okay, we're in California. Okay, this doesn't make any sense. Okay, if I were in Washington State, would it make sense for me to want to start farming mangoes no. in Washington State? No. Now, completely wrong part of the country... The, the world. It's too cold, it's too wet, it's too this, it's too that. It just wouldn't work. But with the right kind of greenhouse, I can make it work. You see what I'm saying? But if, if I've got to do something, I just can't naturally do it. Well, honeybees with the varroa mites, that's just not a natural combination. Honeybees have only been dealing with varroa mites for less than 50 years. They were imported from another continent, and they just haven't formed a good genetic relationship so they keep each other in balance. So we're really be kind, of, kind of behind the eight ball in this whole thing with uh, the mites and bees. So there, there is a whole channel on YouTube. Um, I think it's called free, Treatment Free Bees. But, and they kind of take this mentality of survival of the fittest and they do do things. But what I would tell you just from my own experience is learn how to keep those bees alive like I said death is very hard on the health of bees and you and I because there's no coming back from learning that lesson right so learn how to keep bees learn how to deal with them learn 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 and then when you if you want to explore into the idea of treatment free you you've got You've got an emergency plan. You've got a backup. You've got a fire escape. You know what I'm saying? You know how to deal with. There are um, some things that we can use in beekeeping to treat for mites. And uh, each one of these is in the catalog, and you can kind of just familiarize yourself. There's usually one, actually a couple of synthetic chemicals, although apistan is, is really nothing I would encourage because... Actually, I think it's illegal in this state. In a lot of states, apistan is illegal. 
because it has a long residual in wax. So what happens is you get residuals built up in the wax and the babies get raised. And when you get a residual that hangs around in the wax and the bees are exposed to it at very, very small, minute amounts, the mites develop a, a quicker resistance. It's kind of like getting vaccinated. But anyway, sorry, I didn't mean that. Uh, so the, the biggest synthetic chemical on the market, <laughs> sorry, everybody. Uh, I, I've got to behave more. Sorry. Uh, is Apovar. That's, that's the one synthetic chemical. You don't have to use it. A lot of the uh, commercial beekeepers actually use it quite a bit. Apovar. On the other side of things, there are some natural chemicals. And what we mean by natural is that, for instance, essential oils. Apigard uses the essential oil of thyme as its primary active ingredient. Well, is thyme essential oil natural? Yes, it is. It comes from the thyme plant. But it's very concentrated, right? So most of these are created in nature, but they're very much concentrated. Um, Apigard is an essential oil of thyme. It volatilizes in the hive. And think about this. You're trying to kill a bug that lives on another bug. So that's sometimes a delicate balance. Um, this, the oil of thyme will off-gas in the hive, and it will tend to kill the mites. And the bees don't like it in the hive, so they try. it's in a gel form, and they try scooping it up and taking it out of the hive. Meanwhile, they're spreading it all over the hive, and that's what kills the mites, is it gets on the mites and it, and it kills them. Apolivar is also, I think it's using oil of thyme and a couple other essential oils together. Then you've got the organic acids. The Mitoway Quick Strips uses formic acid. Formic acid is one of the components of most stinging insects, is formic acid. Uh, so it's something that is in the beehive, in certain places, um, but we're just concentrating it, and that off gases and kills the mites too. Oxalic acid, um, there are minutes amount of natural oxalic acid in, in the hive in some forms. And then hopguard is a product made from the hop plant. Uh, it's an acidic, it's called hop beta acids, and it also works for uh, wiping out mites. But so, you know, read up on these, but those are what, you, what you're going to see in the literature and the catalogs as available for mite treatment. Yes? If you plant thyme around the hive, will it keep them? No, but it'll make them happy because um, thyme produces a lot of flowers, and it's a, it's a good nectar plant. You'll, you'll see the bees will be all over it. Um, you know, I've used most of them. I haven't used all of them. Um, I have, so like I, I, I've used the synthetic. I don't, I'm very, very careful. So like on my splits that I know I am not going to get any honey off of for at least a year. I tend to be a little bit more like if I need it and I need something now. And I know this hive is a fresh split and I'm not going to even put any honey supers on it for at least a year, next season then you know, I'll use some of, these, some of these controls that are a little bit stronger. And that way it, it's not attracted or, or uh, really, uh, what do you call it? It's not lipophilic. Yeah, lipophilic. Lipophilic means fat-loving. And a wax is not a fat, but it's a long-chain hydrocarbon. Um, okay, slow down on the chemistry, Rob. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah, you know... Try to go as natural as you can. You know, some of you are going to want to be like as more organic as you possibly can. And I believe some of these are labeled for organic use, um, technically. So, so would you do it um, like we start in spring? Would you do it that fall? So, so what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to use one thing for the spring and something else for the fall. So I'm rotating my approaches. 
so that the mites don't ever get used to one thing and you know get bred out to uh, you know to be resistant to any one particular thing. So yes. Um, food has organic and inorganic. Does honey have the same classification? And do these so, so the, the whole concept of organic honey, okay, I will expose a trick. You can buy honey labeled organic. The problem is, do I know where all those bees went to get this honey? <laughs> no. So, what we're saying when we say organic, it's how we treated the beehive which does have some bearing on the product, but in reality, the product came from flowers, not the hive. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of a trick question. So when you see it's labeled organic, either they live like on the backside of Mars, or, <laughs> or they're treating their hive in an organic fashion. So is it good? Yes, it's good. It's better than otherwise. But you really can't tell the bees where to go. Anything within two, two and a half miles radius of their hive is fair game. So, and that's a big area, you know, when you start thinking about it. Uh, can you treat with organic stuff if you have honey in there that you're going to use? So, oh, 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 I don't have it here. There are two chemicals, mitoway crick strips and hopguard, that are labeled to use while you have honey supers on. So there's been enough research to determine that those two don't effectively contaminate the honey. So those two can be used. Nothing else is approved to use with honey supers on. And there's, there's a time window that some of these can be used and not used uh, according to the temperature. So that's an education in and of itself right there. So um, what do we got? We have 10 minutes. Oh, okay, let's talk about some other pests real quick here. Skunks. Skunks will get in front of the hive and scratch the entrance and eat the bees as they come out. Um, Oftentimes, it's nice to not put your hives on the ground. It's, it's, it's nice to have them up on some blocks. One reason why is if, you can, if the skunks have to stand up to scratch that hive, it exposes their belly, and the bees can get to that, and that, that discourages them. Another thing you can do is put a board in front of the hive just full of like 16-penny nails. Just a pin cushion in front of the hive. That kind of discourages them a little bit. I've never had a problem with skunks. I have had a problem with bears. And bears will just wreck the whole hive. They'll just eat it like donuts and just rip it all apart, tear it all to pieces, scatter it everywhere. And once a bear figures out there's food there, he's going to just keep coming back. So you just really, the most, even if you put an electric fence on it, he knows what's in there now. And he will, he'll go through the fence. So you really just have to move everything out for quite a while and get them not coming around anymore. And then put the fence up and then put the hives in it. So electric fences. But you, know, I don't, you really, unless you live kind of up in the mountains and have bears around all the time anyway, um, then you're going to have to consider that one. Yellow jackets are one of my biggest pests in the fall. So August and September, it's, you've had a hot summer. The, the yellow jacket population is pretty big by the time September comes along. And they're hunting for heart carbohydrates just like the honeybees. The life cycle, though, of the, um, the yellow jacket is a little bit different because in the yellow jackets, they're, as fall comes on, they're raising all queens. So that when those queens hatch, they, they go out and they get under bark and under, and they just go out and get themselves into the landscape and they hibernate over the winter. And the queens all come out in the, in the spring. They get mated and then they make a, a nest of their own. 
that's what you don't want to happen, and you don't want your bees to feed those evil um, yellow jackets. Because yellow jackets, they will just be like hungry wolves, and they will just, they'll kill the bees, they'll kill the larvae, they'll eat the honey, they'll eat the pollen. They're just going for anything they can get their, their mouth onto. And so often in the spring, I've taken the honey off, and I'm going to reduce my entrance down to about like one or two inches. And that's a lot easier to guard for your home bees and your guard bees. They can just surround that entrance and make sure no other bees get, gets in, either, either a, a neighboring uh, hive that wants to rob them out or yellow jackets. Um, but yeah, it's just sad when the yellow jackets have just swarmed in. And the yellow jackets actually won't even bother you. you kick the hive and they just come swarming out. They're just grubby little looters and, and they won't pay any attention to you. You can just shoot them out, uh, shoo them out or sometimes I'll just be here and I'll be squishing them as they come out. Just smack them as they come out and it just ugh. But the only really, really the way to deal with it is reduce that interest down so much that it's really easy to guard. Sometimes, I mean, just a tiny little hole even and then also set up yellow jacket traps around your place going into the fall, like August and September, to reduce their population. Because they can, they can really mess with the hive, too. Um, colony prep. I just want to uh, talk about this for just a minute or two. Because what do I have? Like, I've got five minutes, technically, don't I? Okay. Thank you. Um, colony prep. Now, I'm making a difference here. Colony prep versus hive prep. I've taken the honey off. So all that's up. So this is what's going through winter right here. Well, in the Pacific Northwest, I can get, a by, I can get by with probably 50 pounds of honey to get that colony through the winter. So what I will do is I will walk behind my hives, and this is hard to do because this is flat on the ground, but I have all my hives up on uh, blocks, so it's easy to do. So let me just prop this up. I'll come behind all my hives and just lift them like this. And just lifting this hive, which is totally empty, it feels probably you know, 35, 40 pounds empty. Um, when you go down a whole row of hives, you very quickly start being able to determine how well they're situated for the winter time. So if lifting this tries, is, feels like trying to lift, like one of you, you lift your chair up, like 100 pounds or you know, a couple bags of dog food, sitting on top there like big bag dogs big bags of dog food it should feel really heavy picking it up on the back and then just go to the next one and very quickly you can find ooh this one is like whoa that one's really light okay we'll mark this one or make a mental note this one has to be fed this one's good this one's good um, some of them just literally feel like a brick because they've, just, they've got a lot of honey in those two boxes. They're going to be good, good to go. But this light one, we've got to do something with that. Uh, on two accounts, we want the hive weight up, which means we want a lot of stores in that hive. But also, the bees that are raised in August and September are going to be what we call winter bees they're going to live the whole winter long. So because they're not out flying around and wearing their wings off, they're going to stay in the hive. They're going to live longer. And they're the ones that are really going to project the hive into growth in the spring. And as the spring comes and the, the population really starts ex expanding, then those old winter bees will start dying off. But they're the ones that really carry the population through the winter, provide the warmth, and, and keep a nice environment in there for the queen. So I not only want weight from food, but I want a lot of bees in that box. And on a box, 
on a hive that isn't totally stuffed full, what I can do, well, okay, there's two things I can do. Number one, I can feed that hive, where's, where's my feeder here? In the winter, typically we feed them two to one sugar water. Two parts sugar, one part water. How you do this is you take the one part water, put it in a kettle and boil it. Turn the heat off and add the two parts sugar because you don't want to boil the, the sugar water. It'll overheat it. So boil the water, turn it off, add the sugar, and then stir it up until it dissolves. And it'll be a fairly thick syrup. And then put that on the hive. If I'm just wanting to add food stores to that hive, that's what I would do. If I want to add the colony is small, if I want to beef that colony up, when I've pulled these supers off on the 1st of August, and I really have August and September to do this before winter really sets in, what I will do is I will go back to my spring mix, which is one-to-one sugar. One-to-one sugar is more like nectar coming out of flowers. So if I put the one-to-one mix on my beehive, and I put some pollen patty in there as well, now the bees have access to a lot of nectar and protein. And what are they going to start thinking? Wow, it's spring. We can raise more children. And so the, the bees will start raising a lot more bees in August and September. And that's, that's the winter population. And you want that winter population big. So you not only want heavy because of, you, uh, of the stores, but you want it heavy and full of bees. Okay, I, I just have... Yeah. How do you put that into a hive? Okay, so on all of my hives that I'm using, they have a hole, an a inch and a half hole in the lid that I have a plug in normally. Yeah. Pull the plug out, and then I'll set this feeder, which has little holes all over in the lid here. It's maybe kind of hard to see, but there's holes poked in this lid. And I'll put this right over top that hole, and they'll be able to come up from the inside uh, in the, under that lid and, and drink that little syrup. If, it's really fun to watch a bee, because his, his mouth parts, it's kind of like a little soda straw with, with a mop. And it comes out, and it opens up like that. It just looks like an old-fashioned mop. And they just do it back and forth like this. When It's, it's just like a dog going... Um, but with the bees, it's just like loop, 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 loop. Um, so just like take a little dab of sugar water or honey and just put it on the edge of a hive and watch a bee find it. And you can see them just slurping that up like a dog lapping up milk out of a, you know, or dog food, whatever. Um, yes? If you have two supers, can you just leave one on the hive during the fall and winter? Take the honey well, you should, you should leave these two these two boxes are their main home. Yes, you can leave an extra super. Let's say, I've got enough honey. Let's just leave this full one on. You, can't, you can do that. But here's the issue. Where are we? Do I, should I, st- we'll come back to that right here. Um, our, our, if, if anybody needs a break, I can give you a break. Um, there's a few videos right here having to do with fall prep. Maybe if you want to take a picture of that and go look those up. Those are fairly in, uh, instructive videos when it comes to uh, uh, fall prepping your, your hives. <coughs> yes? Most of the time they die out in the field. If they die in the hive, uh, a caretaker bee or a, or a janitor bee will take them and take them away. <clears throat> Oftentimes you'll see a, uh, a honeybee dragging another dead honeybee out of the hive, and they will actually fly away with it. Imagine being able to fly with twice your weight. And they'll fly away, and if you watch them carefully, they will drop it like 100 feet out. Away from the hive. Why? Keep things clean. Oh. They're very, very clean in their hives. Okay. Uh, yes, question. Okay, so I wanted to ask you, do all these make honey? Like 
Okay, so who makes honey? Honey bees make honey. Killer bees are actually just honey bees. They're, they're a different... Okay, there's, there's different species of honey bees. The, the Africanized bee, which, we, which Hollywood calls killer bees, are Apis sculptata. It's, it's just an African species of honey bee. They're, they look like honeybees. They make honey like honeybees because they are honeybees. They're just genetically a very, very aggressive honeybee. They produce good honey. They are good at stealing honey from other beehives. Um, and here in the, in, the, in the southern part of the United States, there are you know, some of those genetics, and you kind of have to be careful in the south, Texas and you know, these areas down in the southern part. The nice thing about the, the Africanized genetics is they don't tolerate the cold very well. So I really don't have to worry about up in Washington State or in the northern part of the United States because they don't survive well. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.